Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blind is producing. Sam Moppet is engineering. Today we'll spend the first couple of segments talking about some of the headline news stories of the day. And we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news in the second half of this first hour. And then uh, in the five o'clock hour, the Christian Outlook. We'll have an opportunity to hear from Zach Smith from the Heritage Foundation talking about efforts to federalize election rules, taking that right away from individual states, with uh, Albert Moeller explaining how this looks like some sort of Hail Mary pass or a move of desperation. We'll also hear from uh, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Uh, They'll talk with Stephen Mansfield about uh, record numbers of workers quitting their jobs in what some call the Great Resignation. And... um, uh, Hadia Miramadi is going to talk about religious freedom and some of the disturbing trends here at home and across the country. All of that coming up today on the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We'll start with some of the day's headlines. Kristen, uh, Kirsten Cinema's backing of the uh, filibuster sparked a media meltdown. Pundits melted down all day Thursday after the U.S. Senator from Arizona, said that she would not vote to weaken the Senate's 60-vote filibuster threshold, bucking her party leaders yet again and dealing a major blow to the election reform effort. There's no need for me to restate my longstanding support for the 60-vote threshold to pass legislation. There's no need for me to restate its role in protecting our country from wild reversals of federal policy, she said. This week's harried discussions about Senate rules are but a poor substitute for what I believe could have and should have been a thoughtful public debate at any time over the past year, end quote. Well, the remarks uh, match Cinema's long-held um, stance on the filibuster and effectively put a potential final nail in the coffin of Democrats' long-shot effort to pass two elections bills over um, unified Senate GOP opposition. Pundits and columnists didn't hide their disdain for the Democratic lawmaker. Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin, who's become known for her pivot to boosting Democrats after once holding conservative views, called Cinema's decision worse than incoherent or cowardice. Cinema is effectively asking the authors of Jim Crow and vote rigging to give their permission for her to stop it. This is worse than incoherent or cowardice. It's a moral disgrace. Ask the segregationists for permission to vote for Civil Rights Act. Again, a gross example of hyperbole. One of New York Democrats says uh, Kirsten Cinema is a traitor to John Lewis, the man for supporting the filibuster. Manchin and Cinema met with the president to discuss the stalled elections bills. And by the way, they support the bills. They don't support the uh, filibuster being overturned. Senator Manchin declared he will not vote to eliminate or weaken the filibuster either. Rick Scott pointed to a Biden and Schumer's shameless filibuster hypocrisy. They believed in it before they opposed it. That's politicians. A GOP senator plans Fauci Act legislation after the good doctor called him a moron. U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, a Republican out of Kansas, is planning to introduce legislation. It's named after the good doctor, after the nation's top infectious disease expert made headlines for calling Marshall a moron on a hot mic earlier this week. Marshall's bill, which will be uh, titled the Financial Accountability for Uniquely Compensated Individuals or Fauci Act, will mandate that the Office of Government Ethics, or OGE, provide a list of all confidential flyers within the government whose financial disclosures are not public, as first reported by The Hill. Well, Fauci and Marshall, they sparred on Tuesday on Capitol Hill when the senator asked the doctors, asked for or about his financial interests. 
In a letter to uh, Dr. Fauci, the uh, representative cited a New York Post article in which a Fauci spokesperson was unable to produce the financial disclosures that uh, Dr. Fauci claimed were public. A Forbes uh, article reported that Fauci's salary, stocks, bonds and royalty payments for this year and last year were not available to the public. Well, a lawsuit filed against HHS seeks Fauci's calendar entries at the start of the pandemic. Republicans investigating COVID-19 origins slammed the administration's unsatisfactory responses. And Dr. Oz has challenged what he called petty tyrant Fauci to a debate in a televised interview. ABC News fueled Fauci's claims that Senator Rand Paul attacks against him are responsible for ongoing threats. Civility, Washington, D.C., I wish those two went together. Baltimore State's attorney Marilyn Mosby has been indicted on federal charges. Baltimore State's attorney Marilyn Mosby was indicted by a grand jury on federal charges yesterday, accused of lying on a mortgage application when using coronavirus hardship as a reason to take money out of her city retirement account. She faces charges of making false mortgage applications and perjury, which both relate to vaccine home purchases in Florida. According to court documents, she allegedly lied when citing coronavirus hardship as the reason to make these withdrawals from her retirement account. Uh, she allegedly certified that she met at least one qualification for distribution under the CARES Act and affirmed under penalties for perjury the statements and acknowledgments made in her request. She allegedly requested two one-time withdrawals of $40,000 and $50,000, respectively, out of her city retirement account, resulting in deposits of $36,000 and $45,000 into her bank account. The court documents allege that she used the money for down payments on two separate vacation homes in Florida. A Baltimore arsonist was surprised by his own plea deal saying he shouldn't be out of jail. Hmm. Baltimore's mayor walked uh, away after a reporter questioned his crime drop claims. Well, Pennsylvania Republicans plan to draft a bill to relocate migrants on Biden's DHS flights to Delaware. And Bernie Sanders says the Democratic Party has turned its back on working Americans. A Texas judge finds no probable cause in the case of a mom who had a COVID positive son in her trunk. Sarah Beam, 42, was hoping to avoid infection from her son as they both traveled to Houston, uh, at least the Houston area, for coronavirus testing sites. She put her son in the trunk of her vehicle. Well, days after Chicago Mayor Lightfoot called a smash-and-grab victim and, quoting, idiot, Chicago cites him for multiple violations. Well, President Biden has chosen three of the Fed board, including the first black woman. China's trade surplus surges to a record $676.4 billion in 2021. And despite a a SCOTUS, a Supreme Court ruling, Citicorp stands by the Friday vaccination deadline. And they certainly are free to do that. They just cannot be coerced to do so. CVS. Walgreens, Target and other major retailers are being targeted in a multi-state theft theft ring. Uh, More than two dozen people have been arrested for their alleged roles in a multi-state retail theft ring targeting major U.S. retailers. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court killed the Biden vaccine mandate by a 6-3 vote, at least as it relates to businesses. We'll tell you more about that when we return in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a Friday afternoon. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Later in this hour, we're going to talk with James Blind as we take a look at the lighter side of the news and in the second hour, the Christian outlook.
Well, as mentioned, the Supreme Court killed the Biden vaccine mandate by a 6-3 vote. Uh, The majority uh, blocked the Occupational Health and Safety Administration's sweeping mandate covering some 84 million employees of large employers. In an unsigned opinion, the court said OSHA exceeded its statutory authority and it has never adopted a broad public health regulation of this kind, addressing a threat that is untethered in any casual sense from the workplace. Well, the mandate is no everyday exercise of federal power, it added, citing Sixth uh, Circuit Chief Judge Jeffrey Sutton. It is instead a significant encroachment into the lives and health of a vast number of employees. The Wall Street Journal points out, and in another story, a concurrence written by Justice Gorsuch and joined by Justices Thomas and Alito articulated that the Constitution clearly gives the power to Congress, not OSHA, on how to respond to a pandemic and that the fact that the nation is in the midst of an emergency should have no influence on their decision. Well, as predicted, the high court issued a split decision voting to overturn the OSHA vaccine regulations on business with over 100 employees while upholding the requirement for health care workers, institutions or facilities that receive Medicare and Medicaid funding. Ten million health care workers do need to get vaccinated if they wish to keep their jobs, which is really unfortunate given the massive shortage that we have of health care workers right now in the hospitals. Well, in uh, the dissent, Justice Clarence Thomas filed a dissenting opinion that was joined by Alito, Gorsuch, and uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Thomas complained that the Biden administration proposes to find virtually unlimited vaccination power over millions of health care workers in what he described as a hodgepodge of statutes in uh, definitional provisions, a saving clause, and a provision regarding low, uh, low, rather long-term care facilities, sanitation procedures. Well, the administration had not adequately explained, as far as Thomas was concerned, why Congress would have given HHS such power in relatively minor provisions. And indeed, Thomas noted, if Congress had wanted to give the HHS the power to impose a vaccine mandate, it would have done what it has done elsewhere, specifically authorize one. Well, President Biden calls on social media to censor opposition, despite having nearly all of media on his side. He uh, Biden, with approval ratings in the low 30s, is clearly losing on messaging. He said yesterday, I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. Republican National Committee says candidates will no longer work with the Commission on Presidential Debates, breaking from the commission that has regularly used left-leaning moderators in presidential debates. Mark Davis says this is spot on. He says the debates commission has been an abject failure at providing a balanced environment. Let the campaigns hammer out mutually agreeable moderators. And we'll see how that pans out in the next presidential election. Well, Democrats filibuster a uh, cruise bill putting sanctions on the Russian pipeline, although this uh, uh, Hill story neglects to use the word filibuster on this day. That's what happened. A uh, guy Benson points out it is just spectacular that Senate Democrats filibustered something this week of all weeks that has happened uh, to be a Republican bill that would have turned the screws on Putin is just icing on the cake. Point and laugh at these ridiculous decisions. In Canada, an unvaxxed father lost his right to see his own child. The judge said it was in the best interest of the child. Apparently, the father isn't as important as the risk of a sickness that is barely noticeable in some children. Be afraid. Ukraine has been hit by a cyber attack as Russia moves more troops. Some are suggesting this is the pretext 
for what eventually will escalate into war. Europe is nearer to war than it has been in 30 years. Poland's foreign minister warned during a third round of diplomacy this week aimed at diffusing tension over Russia's demand that Ukraine never be allowed to join NATO. The U.S. is bracing for Russian escalation in Ukraine as talks uh, hit a dead end. And one sex offender, two murderers and three gang members have been arrested at the U.S. border. North Korea fires fresh missiles in response to U.S. sanctions, and the U.S. embassy in Baghdad has been targeted by four rockets. According to a new study, Omicron is associated with a 91 percent reduction in the risk of death compared to the Delta variant. And Quebec will impose a significant tax on the unvaccinated in fairness to the vaxxed. With your tax dollars at work, a Bay Area school district is paying $57,000 for woke kindergarten to disrupt whiteness. That's uh, something you'll have to explain to me. An Illinois elementary, as a black woman, an elementary uh, school in Illinois promotes an after-school Satan club for students, and the um, principal tried to explain why uh, earlier in the day. The U.S. abortion rate rose for a second consecutive year, according to the Washington Times, and Microsoft Word has introduced new woke features to monitor your language. Well, it doesn't just monitor your language, it actually corrects it so that you are politically correct. Well, parents have been forced to send their children to school dressed in multiple layers of winter clothing because of a Boston public schools mandate that windows be kept open four inches to mitigate the spread of COVID. Good morning, families. One school wrote in a letter to parents first reported by the Boston Herald. It is still very cold. Remember, the windows in our classrooms have have to be open. I suggest layering your child's clothes, two pairs of pants, two shirts and a sweater, two pairs of socks, etc. Plus all their outerwear, hats, gloves and scarves. All of this with masks, of course. Well, the policy has triggered outrage from some parents who see the abundance of COVID caution to the point that kids are freezing in class as a hindrance to learning. These are the notifications I get from a Boston public school in the 21st century, one present, a parent rather tweeted. I hate this so much. How is my four year old to concentrate on learning, trying to keep warm? An adult has trouble in the uh, in the cold. These kids are enduring so much. And the United States is concerned that the Russian government is preparing for an invasion into Ukraine that may result in widespread human rights violations and war crimes, according to a U.S. official. The official told um, news outlets that Russia is laying the groundwork to have the option of fabricating a pretext for invasion, including through sabotage activities and information operations, by accusing Ukraine of perpetrating an imminent attack against Russian forces in East Ukraine. Now, the officials said that the Russian military plans to begin these activities several weeks before a military invasion, which could begin between mid-January and mid-February. The officials said the plans are reminiscent of the Kremlin's playbook in 2014 with the invasion of Crimea. Russia annexed Ukraine in 2014. Well, the Biden administration, according to the official, has information that indicates Russia has already prepositioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine. The official warned that the operatives are trained in urban warfare and in using explosives to carry out acts of sabotage against Russians 
own proxy forces. The official explained that the administration's information also indicates that Russian influence actors are already beginning to fabricate Ukrainian provocations in state and social media to justify a Russian intervention and so divisions in Ukraine. One example, the official said, is Russian officials and influence actors emphasizing narratives about the deterioration of human rights in Ukraine and the increased militancy of Ukrainian leaders. These uh, media narratives also blame the West for escalating tensions, highlight humanitarian issues in Ukraine that Russian intervention could solve, promote Russian patriotism to encourage domestic support for military action. Well, last month, the official said that Russian language content on social media covering all three of these narratives increased to an average of about 3,500 posts per day, a 200 percent increase from the daily average in November. Now, this after the president and the administration this week maintained that it is working in lockstep with its allies to urge de-escalation and respond to the security crisis caused by Russia. On this day in history, 1784, the United States ratifies the Treaty of Paris, ending the Revolutionary War. Britain would follow suit in April. 1943, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and French General Charles de Gaulle open a wartime conference in Casablanca. 1963, George C. Wallace is sworn in as governor of Alabama with the pledge, segregation forever, a view Wallace later would repudiate. 1967, the 60s Summer of Love unofficially begins with a human be-in involving tens of thousands of young people at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. 1975, the House Internal Security Committee, formerly the House Un-American Activities Committee, is disbanded. 1989, President Ronald Reagan delivers his 331st and final weekly White House radio address, telling listeners, believe me, Saturdays will never be the same. I'll miss you. 1994, on this day in history, President Bill Clinton and Russian President Boris Yeltsin sign an accord to stop aiming missiles at any nation. The leaders join Ukrainian President Leonid Kravchuk in signing an accord to dismantle the nuclear arsenal of Ukraine. 2004, former Enron finance chief Andrew Fastow pleads guilty to conspiracy as he accepts a 10-year prison sentence. He would actually be sentenced to six years and be released in December of 2011. And finally, on this day in history, 2009, a French court acquits six doctors and pharmacists in the deaths of at least 114 people who contracted brain-destroying Crutchfeld-Jacob disease after being treated with tainted human growth hormones. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take the second half of this first hour to take a look at the lighter side of the news. And joining me in that endeavor, James Blinn, the producer of The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Joining me now is James Blinn, the infamous producer of the Georgine Rice Show, from a remote location. Yo, James. Greetings. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just as a temporary measure, um, mainly just due to a couple things with like child care issues. I'm back in the, uh, the, the dungeon, so to speak, that I spent 15 months in for this show. So, you know, yeah, I was trying to create a little mystery. They might think well, you were in Zanzibar. Now they think I'm in a dungeon. <laughs> well, I mean, if that's not theater of the mind, I don't know what is. OK, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Now, this there's a new study out that I found rather puzzling, but you might uh, <laughs> you might not. Are face masks actually helping some people in their dating scene? 
Along with helping to curb the spread of COVID-19, researchers from the University of Cardiff find that masks may actually make wearers appear more attractive. Your thoughts? I saw this article last night and I I showed it to my wife <laughs> and we just shook our heads. Um, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, okay, who at one of the mask companies fronted a few dollars to get this thing <laughs> written and put into a paper? Because I'm going to say, you know, uh, I'm not going to call bogus on it directly, but boy, it doesn't sound legitimate to me. Well, it's so peculiar. It seems like it, it quite frankly sounds like something out of Babylon B um, or the onion, depending on your taste. But, um, you know, I, I for me, I always joke. It's like. Um, Hey, I I, I kind of like the face, face mask thing because then people don't have to look at my face. Uh, but um, <laughs> well, I don't see how you could I come to the conclusion that you're that people are more attractive with the mask on. But scientists assessed how different types of face masks changed attractiveness. And I'll agree on that point. Wearing the mask certainly changes attractiveness among a group of 40 men. Now, this is interesting, too. It's uh, predominantly men. Well, that process led to the conclusion that blue medical masks increase attractiveness the most um, when uh, wearers are male. So maybe grab a few of these before your next date night. Uh, research carried out before the pandemic found medical face masks reduce attractiveness. So we wanted to test whether this had changed since face coverings became ubiquitous and understand whether the type of mask had an effect. That's a quote from Dr. Michael Lewis from Cardiff's School of Psychology and an expert, in quotes, in the psychology of faces in a university release. Now, this is what he said. Our study suggests faces are considered most attractive when covered by medical face masks. And this may be because we're used to healthcare workers wearing blue masks, and now we associate these with people in caring or medical professions. That's one explanation. At a time when we feel vulnerable, we may find that wearing a medical mask reassures us and uh, so we feel more positive toward the wearer. We also found faces are considered significantly more attractive when covered by cloth masks than when not covered. Well, some of this effect may be a result of being able to hide undesirable features in the lower part of one's face. But this effect was present for both less attractive and more attractive people, according to the researchers. So are you buying it? Face masks no, it's, having it's been worn for almost two years. You know, when you talk about the medical work, you know, you think about all the people that's like, you know, that, that may be like, well, I'd love to date a doctor. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So maybe that's brushing off me. I'm kind of the opposite. Now, of course, obviously, I'm happily married, so I'm not thinking of people on a measure of attractiveness. But one of the things that I've noticed over the time is I have a I'm one of the millions of Americans who have a distinct fear of anything dental related. And every time I see somebody wearing a medical mask, in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, no, it's a dentist. <laughs> um, and so to me personally, the, the medical masks do very little for me. Uh, if anything, they throw me closer to an anxiety attack than they do <laughs> make me think, uh, boy, I wish I were single. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't see it myself. I don't get it. Um, you know, but uh, at, at the same time, you know, if I were a younger single man, I've always been told my eyes were my best feature. So maybe it would have done me some good. I have no idea. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm just going to leave it right there, uh, <clears throat> James. There you go. Well, there is a town um, that requires residents to remove their appendix before they're permitted to live there. Huh? If you thought leaving your heart in San Francisco was tough, try your appendix. Well, everyone figuratively uh. leaves a part of themselves behind during a move. 
However, one Antarctica town requires prospective residents to literally have their appendix removed before settling there. Now, let me explain. Um, An appendectomy is one of the uh, prerequisites for everyone, including children, to live in, I think it's pronounced Villas Las Estrellas, one of two civilian settlements on the frozen continent where people can reside for years instead of weeks or months. Well, located in Chile's um, Fry Base on King George Island, the outpost only boasts 100 inhabitants, masks, which is probably not difficult to believe, predominantly researchers and military personnel. However, those with longer-term contracts often bring their entire families, sans appendixes. That doesn't sound right, appendixes, but that is the plural. To the Spartan settlement, which consists of a post office, a small school, a bank, and other rudimentary facilities. Well, preemptive appendix extraction might sound like some sadistic initiation ritual, but it was implemented for a good reason. As uh, was reported, the nearest hospital is 625 miles away from the northernmost tip of the island, which can spell bad news for anyone suffering from You guessed it, appendicitis, an affliction that requires immediate surgery to prevent it from becoming life-threatening. Well, the limited health care options are also why people are discouraged from getting uh, pregnant during their stay there as well. And these aren't the only precautions people take while living in this area. As the temperatures can plummet below 100 degrees Fahrenheit, citizens are required to stay indoors or risk freezing to death. Uh, this winter, we could not leave our house for weeks, said one resident who apparently doesn't have a, an appendix. This is why most people only reside at the colony during the summer when the mercury hits a balmy 36 degrees Fahrenheit. So a uh, an appendectomy before you're permitted to live in this area for any length of time. I, I keep here. I've got a song now stuck in my head. I left my appendix in San Francisco. It's like, oh, my goodness, just leaving appendixes all over the place, people. <laughs> yeah, of course, you wouldn't have to leave it there, but you would if you moved to this Well, uh, I mean, if you're moving from San Francisco, you probably would. You would before you leave. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, a judge uh, of a Michigan University's uh, cheeky annual banished words list have a message for texting and tweeting Americans. Your wait, what joke is lame. It's played out. Well, the phrase topped the Lake Superior State University of Michigan's Upper Peninsula lighthearted list of 10 winners chosen from among more than 1,250 submissions of overused, misused, and generally groan-inducing words or phrases. Wait what irritated nominators uh, who felt the phrase intended to show astonishment and disbelief, but having been overused, no longer serves a purpose. The second slot went to another misused or overused phrase, no worries. Nominators, rather, said it was dismissive. I'm not worried. I don't want anyone telling me not to worry, one contributor said. If I'm upset, I want to discuss being upset. Well, the 10 winners were chosen from among more than 1,250 submissions to the judge of the uh, cheeky annual exercise. The university began compiling their annual list back in 1976. Past nods have gone to detente, surely, classic, bromance, and... One of my favorites, COVID-19. There are only three entries associated with the pandemic this year after it dominated last year's list. One possible takeaway, I'd rather takeaway from all of this about the act and art of science of disclosing something is the more things change, the more things stay the same. Uh, new normal. It ranked number eight and nominators criticized its overuse and questioned the logic behind the phrase. After a couple of years, it uh, is 
any of this really normal. Uh, You're on mute. Supply chain rounded out the list. A nod to our continued radiance, a rather reliance on virtual meetings and widely reported shortages of consumer products ranging from computer chips to furniture. Supply chain issues have uh, become the scapegoat for everything that doesn't happen to arrive on time and of every shortage one nominator pointed out. But they've made a list and you've heard a few that are on the list. I'll thank you not to use them from this point forward. Wait, what? Well, you got the idea. Do you I feel like I have those? nothing left I could say. They took away all my favorites. Yeah. I Maybe we should just end the show right now. I, I don't know. I got nothing to say. Well, a Japanese professor created no a... Uh, <laughs> a Japanese professor created a flavorful, flavorful screen. Uh, the professor has developed a prototype lickable TV screen that can uh, imitate food flavors, another step toward creating a multi-sensory viewing experience in the middle of a pandemic. I'll tell you more about that when we return in a moment, but a lickable television screen? Huh. Uh, By the way, the device is called Taste the TV. We'll tell you more about it when we return in just a moment. I'm Georgine Rice, along with James Blend. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend has joined me to take a look at the lighter side of the news. Now, just before the break, James, I was talking about a Japanese professor who's developed a prototype lickable TV screen that can imitate food flavors, another step toward creating a multi-sensory viewing experience. So do you really want to taste TV? You're watching a show and you want to taste it? No, I mean, I I have enough trouble every day with uh, having to wipe down the TV and spray it down uh, with the TV cleaner spray and the little rag that comes with it Um, it, because there are little six-year-old handprints all over the screen despite my many uh, warnings of the don't touch the screen. I don't think I need tongue prints on there too. Well, it that's just a, seems that's like just, ew. such a bad idea. Well, the device is called pandemic taste people. There's, the t- I mean, you know, say <laughs> yeah. what you will about the pandemic. That doesn't mean we go licking our TV sets now. Taste the TV. It uses a carousel of ten flavor canisters that spray in combination to create the taste of a particular food. The flavor sample then rolls on hygienic film over a flat TV screen for the viewer to try. Hygienic film. A hygienic film. Those okay. two things don't go well together. Well, in the no, COVID-19 like era, this kind of technology can enhance the way people connect and interact with the outside world, said the professor who discovered it, or at least developed it. Well, the goal is to make it possible for people to have the experience of something like eating at a restaurant on the other side of the world, even while staying at home. Well, he works with a team of about 30 students that have produced a variety of flavor-related devices, including a fork that makes food taste richer. He said he built a uh, the TTV prototype himself over the past year and that a commercial version uh, could cost about 100,000 yen or $875 uh, if you want to have one in your home. Uh, potential applications include distance learning for sometimes uh, or some sommeliers and um, cooks and tasting games and quizzes. So he's uh, trying to imagine ways that one might use such technology. I don't know, licking a flat screen TV even with some kind of hygienic film, does not seem very appealing to me. I think I'll wait till the technology improves and I can go out and buy the brand new Apple iLick. 
<laughs> okay. That sounds like a plan. Exactly. <laughs> well, a Chinese woman celebrated her dog's 10th birthday by hiring a team of 520 drones to put on a canine birthday-themed light show in the sky. Now, the dog doesn't care if there are drones in the sky, but nonetheless, the dog's 10, and this is what the owner decided to do. Well, footage from the dog's birthday party in the Hunan province shows a crowd of well-wishers singing happy birthday to the canine while hundreds of drones prepared for takeoff nearby. The drones launch into the sky over the uh, nearby river, arrange themselves into shapes, including the dog's likeness and a birthday cake. Now, the dog doesn't know what he looks like, so that's meaningless to the dog. Birthday cake? I don't don't know. Well, the drones also spell out the phrase, happy birthday, dao dao, in Chinese. Does the dog read? Uh, Local authorities said they were unaware of the event, which would require special permits to lawfully uh, lawfully execute. Drone Industries insiders say it would likely have cost the woman about $15 thousand seven hundred dollars to rent the drones and have them operated for a dog who's 10 wow you know the interesting thing i heard about that dog is that uh did you know that uh is it dow dow there yeah is uh 50 better looking when wearing a mask <laughs> i think dogs are 50 uh, more attractive when in a bag and, and he's also in favor of a lickable Sealed. television yeah he probably is now, there's an application for your dog. Yep. Well, Cambodia's landmine-sniffing rat, Magawa, who found more than 100 landmines and explosives during a five-year career, has died at the age of eight. There were no drones at the ceremony, leaving a lasting legacy of saved lives in Southeast Asian nation. Now, Magawa, sounds seems to me, deserve perhaps some celebration. He died over the weekend. He was the most successful hero rat, as they're called, deployed by international charity APOPO, uh, which uses African giant pouched rats to detect landmines and tuberculosis. Magawa was in good health and spent most of his last week playing with his uh, usual enthusiasm. But toward the weekend, he started to slow down, napping more and showing less interest in food in his last days, according to the nonprofit organization. Scarred by decades of civil war, Cambodia is one of the world's most heavily landmined countries with more than a thousand square miles of um, land still contaminated with the things. It's all among the highest number of amputees per capita, with more than 40,000 people having lost limbs to explosives. And still, um, it's uh, pocked with landmines. Magawa was a rat who was the most successful at helping to uh, identify the location and eventually uh, disabling these landmines. Now, that merits a little show, I think, but nonetheless... Kind Pretty of a amazing. firework show sort of thing. Yeah, something. Anyway, it's amazing what some animals can, in fact, do. Speaking of which, two dogs trained to detect an odor distinct to a people who are sick with COVID-19 will visit three school districts in Bristol County this weekend. That's in Boston. A black Labrador named, um, I think it's Hunta, and a golden lab called Duke can detect the smell of the virus on surfaces and will sit to uh, indicate when they pick up the scent. The dog will visit schools in Freetown, Lakeville, and Norton School Districts. 
Uh, With COVID, whether it's uh, the Omicron, whether it's the Delta, the dog will hit on it, the Bristol County captain says. And if there's a a new variant that comes out in six months, hopefully there isn't. But if there is, COVID is COVID. Well, the Fairhaven School Superintendent welcomed the dog, saying their presence showed students we're doing everything we can to mitigate the risk. And I want them to feel secure and safe and not anxious about their surroundings. Unless, of course, the dog finds among the students someone with COVID who becomes the pariah and is immediately ushered out of the school. Well, the dogs were trained using a uh, detection program developed by Florida International University's International Forensics Research Institute, which is not easy to say. Uh, It was first reported on the Bristol County's use of the detection dogs in July. So there you have it. Okay, so I have to ask, if you were a high school student, you specifically, and you're walking around school, and you are approached by a COVID-sniffing dog. It wouldn't matter are if I had COVID. I would it, just uh, I would faint, and that would be the end of that. I was going to say, are you are, are you going to be closer to anxiety or feeling good about the fact that you're safe from COVID? Yeah, I would be unconscious, so I can't answer that question. Yeah, that's that's kind of the point. They're, they're <laughs> exactly. kind of taking. It's like uh, one, you've got people who are allergic to dogs, and two, you, you do have people who are less than happy with dogs, and they might not be comfortable with the situation. Uh, I, a couple of months ago, we went to Disneyland and they had uh, drug sniffing dogs. But it was the timing wise. I actually asked, "Are they sniffing for dogs, or, uh, drugs, or COVID?" Just curious. And so, because I knew that that was something that was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, but, and apparently, uh, it's here. It's here, and the uh, COVID sniffing dog. Go for it, I guess, but keep it away from me. Well, the <laughs> the Belgian city of Antwerp has put its faith in monkey business to put kids at ease for their COVID-19 jab. With the expansion of the country's vaccination campaign to include children as young as five, Belgian authorities are getting creative as they try to prevent kids getting spooked by the sight of vials and needles. Well, Antwerp on Wednesday made use of one of its greatest assets, the zoo, in the center of town, which is one of the finest in Europe. While adult vaccination centers focus on the uh, conveyor belt principle to process as many people as in as short a time as possible, it takes more patience with kids. So close to the zoo's entrance, specifically designed safari tents were set up with photos of zoo animals to distract them inside the tent. The kids, not the animals. Kids were given light pointers to seek out the animals they liked best while they got the shot. If there was uh, any pain, it quickly dissipated when they and their parents were allowed to stroll through the zoo greenhouse and visit the monkey enclosure. So here you have it, a bit more creativity when it comes to dealing with COVID. Your thoughts? Hmm. You know, my thoughts are it's, yeah, the COVID thing, you know. I'd still rather have not have a dog near me. I'm still focused on that. It's still <laughs> disturbing me. What can I say? You know, you know, it's one of those things that gets in your head. Yeah. And uh, you know, well, you might what, need to stroll through. What we need, what we need to do with what we need to do is, you know, take those COVID dogs and then you know, get a TV and they can maybe lick an interview with Dr. Fauci or something. Well, it's a thought. That, that that's that that might create the balance, but it's a you thought. Know, It's a thought, but it's also a thought that it's probably time for news and traffic and stuff. Yeah, pretty much. We are going to take a break for news and traffic here at the top of the hour. Coming up in the second hour, the Christian Outlook. We'll hear from Zach Smith with the Heritage Foundation on 
Um, Democrats' efforts to federalize election rules. We'll also hear from Stephen Mansfield about record numbers of workers quitting their jobs. They're calling it the Great Resignation. And Hedia Miramadi will talk about religious freedom and some of the disturbing trends, not only here at home, but across the globe as well. All of that coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. I also want to remind you next week, Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday, on Tuesday, uh, we have a radiothon with ICR. We hope you will join us uh, for that. So keep uh, keep posted. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.